Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. You're listening to Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. First shot to flex, and Morozik fought it off, and then he takes a swing at Joe Thornton, and Thornton punches Morozik, and down goes Morozik. Well, Morozik's got to know that when you come in and you start hacking Joe Thornton and you punch at him, you're going to get punched back. And Morozik's still down on his back selling it. Peter Morozik with a wild slash at Joe Thornton, and Joe Thornton went George Foreman. Uh-oh, trouble for Dell in front. They score. Dell turns it over. Verhage goes over to Tyler Johnson, and Johnson gets his second goal of the game to now make it 5-0 Tampa. I don't know. I think every trip's different here at different points. You know, my, my disappointment tonight, uh, a little like last night, you know, I think they score in their first shot or the first couple shots, and you're chasing the game right off the bat. It's tough on the road to do that. I thought we we hung in there and, stuck in, and uh, you know, kept fighting, but, uh, you know, it wasn't enough. And, you know, their goalie was better. Their special teams were better tonight than ours. That was probably the story. I thought... That 5-on-5, we probably carried uh, a lot of the play, but those two areas, they were better than us. Preparation, maybe. I mean, uh, back-to-backs are hard, but, I mean, that shouldn't be an excuse for us. We really needed these points, so it sucks to lose this game. I mean, I thought we were playing well in the second period. We just were in there end for a solid 10 minutes, and we just didn't get the bounces that we needed. So um, it sucks, but... You know, you just got to keep working to kind of get out of the, the slump and uh, make sure that we're, uh, we're getting out of this hole for ourselves. Uh, I think we're a little too relaxed right now. Um, you know, a couple of games that, uh, you know, we got off to bad starts and weren't able to fight back and we didn't really have much fight back after we got down. So that's, uh, that's really the most disappointing part. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Morning Tide. I'm your host, Ted Ramey, always in a good mood to be with you. And this ultimately was what I was afraid of for a number of reasons. And I guess the most accurate one that I can come to that isn't really influenced by emotion or isn't really influenced by a number of things is just the fact that the Sharks had been so very, very hot in the month of November that a correction was bound to come. And what was staring the Sharks in the face as they transitioned from November into December? They were faced with a road trip. They were faced with a game against Washington at home that preceded that road trip. And now they find themselves losers of four straight games in which some of them they have played very, very poorly and some of them they have played well and not been able to come out with a decision that I thought that They were deserving of the game against the Hurricanes. The Sharks, in my opinion, easily played well enough to get a win in that game. They were not rewarded. That's 
how life goes for the San Jose Sharks. That's how life goes for professional sports. Sometimes you do everything right and you can come up with the wrong answer. And that to me was one of those nights in Tampa Bay or excuse me, in Carolina. The other side of that is that you play pretty well against Florida and ultimately your special teams are not as good as theirs and you put yourself in some bad situations, you make some mistakes, but in the second period particularly, I thought that they played very, very well. I thought that they did a lot of things that could have found them in the lead or at least tying that game when they were down 2-1, but they weren't able to get that goal in the back of the net that was going to put them in a position to really take control of the game, and you know, you're, you're falling behind early, you're on the road, you're on the second night of a back-to-back after you've just gotten your butts kicked the day before against Tampa, and suddenly you're not able to put yourself in a position where you can win. And that's where the Sharks found themselves. And right now, people are rightfully so a little bit freaked out because everything for the Sharks had been going so well and you're trending in the right direction, and suddenly you're losers of four straight. And this is why, ultimately, I come down to the idea that you can't get too high in the regular season. You can't get too low in the regular season. And I think that's where I have to be right now. Now, you... You do you. If you want to just explode after every win, if you want to cry and drink yourself to sleep every night after a loss, even though that's not healthy, I definitely know that sports mentality of overreacting or just reacting to every single game. Because I get it. That's the ups and downs. That's the emotional tie that you have with the team that you're rooting for. But I think ultimately you can't overreact to November and you can't overreact to what you've seen so far in December. Are the Sharks at this point, who are 15-15-2, are they more like November, or are they more like these streaks of inconsistency? Ultimately, you got to keep on playing these games to find out what they are, and we can go back to Pete DeBoer's first year when they were bound for the Stanley Cup final, and I think they were 18-18-4 at one point, and ultimately, like I keep coming back to, you want to get better as the season goes on. And one of the things that gives me hope about the Sharks is that there's a lot of self-inflicted misery. There's bad giveaways. There is questionable passing. There are nights where you see Jones or Dell, they should make a stop, but they don't. It's shooting themselves in the foot. And I think that those type of corrections, when you tighten down, when you get more into the thick of the season, you're able to correct those things. You're able to find yourself a win on nights where you should have lost, which we've seen the Sharks do this year, but you're also able to just take care of a game from start to finish. And ultimately, even though I do see these trends of the Sharks shooting themselves in the foot and thinking those are correctable mistakes, ultimately I'm still waiting for the Sharks to play those complete games because there haven't been too many. There have been nights where they've been dominant for 20 minutes. There have been nights where they've been dominant for 40 minutes, but then let the team come roaring back in the third period or they've gotten off to a bad start, but then the next 40 minutes have gone really well. That's, to me, what I want to see more of from the Sharks. More than I'm focusing on the wins and or the losses, I want to see 60-minute efforts, and I'm not even questioning the, you know, the nights where all four lines are contributing. I just want to see a game that the Sharks control from start to finish. They're rewarded with the win. It's calm. It's just what they need to do to take care of business as the way we perceive it. And I haven't seen that enough from the Sharks. And I think that's, again, something that I'm looking forward to and saying if they do X, Y, and Z, they can put themselves in a position to win more games and they can put themselves in a position 
to be better than what their record is telling us right now. Because if the Sharks were doing everything right and losing, or if the Sharks were putting in these great efforts and still losing time and time again, then there's more reason to be concerned. I think you go back to Sunday's game and you say to yourself, well, you know, they're chasing a game right off the bat once again. It doesn't matter how well they played for a 10-minute period of the second second period where they could have found themselves tied at two in that game. They put themselves in a deficit right away. And you talk about this after the games, or Pete DeBoer talks about it, I should say, chasing a game, chasing a game, chasing a game. I've been around professional sports, and I've traveled with professional teams enough to know chasing a game on the road, it's one of the hardest things to do. You find yourself in a deficit, and you're in an inhospitable environment. You're clenching. You're tightening up. You're trying to make too much happen. I won't talk about the athlete who said it to me, but I'll tell you what they said. But I talked to this athlete after an East Coast loss, and it was a game in which they fell behind early but were able to battle their way back into it. They didn't get a win, but they were able to have a good performance. And, you know, I kind of brought this up to this athlete, and they looked at me and they said, you don't want to chase a game a minute into it. It doesn't matter that we played well to get back into it. We didn't win because we were lazy early. And this wasn't hockey, but that mentality is valid in every single sport. If you fall behind early, especially on the road, good luck. I mean, good luck to you. I I love that the Sharks battled back in the second period and were seemingly giving themselves opportunities, but it wasn't enough. And then they give up another goal to the Panthers, and suddenly you're down 3-1 after two, and that's where you really start tightening up because you're forcing things and you're trying to make things happen and you're going to take some bigger risks. And you've, again, you are reaping what you've sowed and what you've done is put yourself in a deficit. And now you're just trying to figure out any sort of prayer to get yourself back into this. Well, guess how it works out? 5-1 loss. That's it's It's not shocking. Now, that's not to say that you cannot overcome deficits in any capacity, but many, many times this year, we've seen the Sharks give up these uber early goals. And this is what we saw in the second half of last year as well. And there's just not an answer to it. You you want that 60 minute effort. And that's what I keep on coming back to of why at moments you're frustrated, but why I have hope against these teams. And you you look at the game against Washington and I'm listen. There's a couple things that I'm very confident in saying right now. I feel like Washington is better than the Sharks right now. They are a better team. Boston is better than the Sharks right now. They are a better team, and we've seen that when they've gone up against them this year. But are they going to be better in March, April, May, or potentially a June showdown against either one of those teams should the Sharks make it to the Stanley Cup final? That is a question that you go far off and, listen, we can predict, we can try and guess, whatever. But those two games, okay, you take those as a wash right now because those you just lose those. You lost those games. You went up against a really good opponent. You're not on their level at this time in the season. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. You want to If you're playing them, you want to be better than them in June. Okay, whatever. But do I think the Panthers are actually a 5-1 type better team than the Sharks? No. Do I think Tampa is like that? No. Do I think they should have beaten Carolina? Yes. And that's part of the frustration is that you look at these games and you say the Sharks could have and or should have won these games. They weren't able to do so. The one that particularly hurts is the Carolina one, no doubt. But now there's even that much more pressure heading into this game in Nashville. But I will say that if you lose on the road, you're coming right back home and you get more opportunity to capitalize on the home ice and play in front of your home crowd 
your body gets back on its clock, you'll have a chance to rebound. If the Sharks can rebound from what we've seen in this road trip once they get back after the game against Nashville, then you're a little bit more hopeful again. But if these trends from the road continue back home, then there's going to be various reasons for concern. But right now, again, with the Sharks, I'm watching them make mistakes. I'm watching them shoot themselves in the foot at times. I'm not a guy to go out there and say that they're always just erroneous and error-prone. Every team in the NHL is like this. The thing about the Sharks is that if you watch them make these mistakes, they fight their way back into games. They still have an opportunity to take command because there's so much damn talent out there on the ice. And I think these guys all know it. And it's a matter of correcting these mistakes over the course of the season so that you are quote-unquote peaking when the time is right. And honestly, considering that we've seen Pete DeBoer able to take this team deep into the playoffs, into the Stanley Cup final, into the Western Conference final twice, I have reason to believe that we're going to see this again. Pete DeBoer, when I look at what his teams do, they get better and better as the year goes on. Now, what you start thinking about, of course, as you get later and later into the year is you don't want to be too low in the playoff seating because, look, you would have liked to have been better or higher seed last year because you had that first round against Vegas, which beat the living crap out of your players, and then you had that unbelievable, physical, exhausting series with the speed against Colorado, and you just didn't have it against St. Louis. That's why you want to have a better seating. But, of course, you could end up with a great seating and end up playing a bad matchup in the first round. Anything is possible. Absolutely anything is possible when we're talking about the playoffs. But you do want to give yourself your best shot. And having a Game 7 scenario at home is obviously better than being on the road. I mean, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. But this comes back to my whole idea of not overreacting or underreacting. And again, I will say that for the time being, Washington is a better team than the Sharks. I will say for the time being that Boston is a better team for the Sharks. But all the other teams, the wins and the losses, you put it all together, the Sharks are, in my opinion, a very good team that is still finding their way. And it's not necessarily early anymore, but they are still in the process of getting better, and I expect the Sharks to get better. Now, the wild swings and scores from getting a a tight win to getting blown out, that is a little bit concerning because – I feel like sometimes with the Sharks, it's like they get behind and the shoulders slump a little bit and that seed of doubt is planted and suddenly they're not playing they're not playing the same type of game that they want to be playing. And again, I'm not I don't question effort. I don't question anything like that. I just think that they feel like they're aware of what they've done. They're frustrated with the mistakes. They know they shouldn't be in this position. And I think that comes a little bit too much to the forefront of their minds. And then again, you get into the tightening up, you get into the gripping, you get into the hero hockey, and we've seen that plenty of times from the Sharks this year. But going back to my earlier point about corrections, and then I look particularly at that game against Carolina, you have all those consecutive Saturday night overtime and or shootout wins for the Sharks. You have the three consecutive overtime wins at one point for the Sharks this year. You have these close games that were when they were able to hold off the wild and get a win. That's going to come back on the other end. And the Carolina game was a a shining example of that. The Sharks had been on the positive side of a lot of close games so far this year. They're going to find themselves on the negative side of a close game. And you hope that your talent is able to carry you and win these uber-close games. But this is something that we've seen from the Sharks this year is that 
a lot of those tight games, they've been able to find a way to get a win, and suddenly they have a game like they do against Carolina where you're emotionally hot from Jumbo punching out Morozik. And, uh, and listen, I know people are over, oh, he was selling it. or he, Joe was still extending when he landed the punch, and he's hitting a guy on skates who maybe wasn't expected to get punched in the mask. And I talked to some guys who have been hit with a mask on before and say, yeah, if you get hit in the mask and it hits your jaw, it does weird things to your balance. Now, they were not going to go out there and say that Morozik was selling it or was not selling it or whatever, but they just said, hey, if you get hit in the mask and it hits your jaw and it's somebody as large as Jumbo hitting you, it's probably not going to feel good. Which, by the way, that was th- that whole scene was awesome. And that was a really fun game. It felt like a playoff game. It was one of those games where people were texting me during it saying this game is ferocious. The overtime was unbelievably entertaining. You come out on the wrong end of it, but it's an 82-game regular season. And, I, you know, people are going to react to Jumbo getting that hit in on Morazic, and it was, it was awesome. That was a reminder of how good the Sharks can be and still walk away with a loss. And it was a reminder of how long the season is and how the ups and downs can play their roles. And, again, I'm not overreacting. I'm not going to be mad at you for overreacting, but I'm looking at this over the course of an 82-game season, and again, you come back to the idea of November being so good, suddenly you're going up against the best team in the NHL in Washington who are just a juggernaut right now, and then you go out onto the road against good teams. Now, can the Sharks salvage this and get a win against Nashville, a team I look at and say, I think the Sharks are better than them? If you do that, then you carry a little bit momentum coming home, even though they say that, oh, the first game home after an East Coast road trip is a trap game. I don't believe that, at least not in hockey. I think that's more of an NBA thing. But I look at the Sharks, who are still trying to find themselves. I don't think they're going to put themselves in a deficit. Now, could they? Of course. But I think they're going to perform how they perform against Nashville, and then they're going to come home and try and get right once again. All right, we're going to switch gears here. And we now have joining us on Morning Tide, Joe Will, the assistant general manager of the San Jose Sharks and general manager of the San Jose Barracuda. And, Joe, uh, I told my wife that I was having you on, and I told her your two job titles, and she said, that sounds like a lot of work. So, A, I'll let you react to that, and B, how you doing today? Oh, doing well, Ted. Thanks. And, uh, yeah, it is uh, really a labor of love with, with the two jobs. I'm, you know, it's, it's great to, uh, you know, be a part of the sharks and that's really been my passion for many, many years, but the Barracuda is, is, uh, a lot of fun to be able to watch young players developing underneath. And that's something that I think people have to take into consideration with the grand scheme of the sharks, because it's not like there's a whole lot of high draft picks that are feeding into this system. I mean, the Sharks year after year have relatively lower picks um, just because of the fact that, the you know, they have a lot of success. And building this foundation um, that's been going on, particularly since the, the team has come to San Jose and the move from Worcester. But I guess just give us the 35,000-foot view on how the – the integration of the Barracuda into San Jose since the move to Worcester and how you've kind of incorporated that into the overall, I don't know, just kind of the life growth process of the team and transitioning these players into the franchise. Well, it's really had a lot of purposes, uh, served a lot of purposes, especially being out in San Jose compared to where it was. It used to be in Worcester, Massachusetts, which was a six hour flight. And, you know, there were some, some good things out there being, uh, 
uh, in a tight league and close travel and such. But, uh, you know, with the salary cap system, uh, trying to get players up for to stock our roster and everything like that, it was extremely difficult. Plus the fact that Doug and myself and the coaches of the Sharks really couldn't see these players. So about five years ago, you know, all the teams in the Pacific Division and the National Hockey League banded together and moved the conference out here. And since then, you know, the benefits of it uh, are, are not only to develop your young players, but to be actually close to them so mm-hmm. that, you know, Pete DeBoer, Doug Wilson on any given Barracuda game can come out to SAP Center and they can watch the players almost like a, a JV in, in high school or, you know, any other development league, but it's right there. And they could say, you know what, he's ready to play tomorrow. And you can tell them, you know what, you're not coming to the, barracuda room tomorrow you're going to the sharks room and you're going to play in the game so it's it's you know pete can watch over make sure that uh, the barracuda coaches are, are playing the same systems they can you know so when a player comes up he can he can penalty kill like the sharks do he can power play like the sharks do uh, do the same things that the coaches want uh the closeness and proximity and you have fresh players for for recalls and such. So it's just, uh, you know, it's been a home run for us. It's really interesting that I've been out to some of these Barracuda games, and I don't think the fans often recognize the fact that you do see Doug, you do see Pete, you see some of the players on on the Sharks just out there watching the Barracuda and looking at these guys and looking at these other prospects. I think that's something that maybe it's it's not highlighted as much just because I think there's so much focus on the first team, but these guys are out there watching these games like you alluded to on any given game day. Yeah, it's great. Uh, you know, Timo Meyer came out early in the year and, and he, you know, he, he still has a close connection as do most of our players because uh, – a majority of them did come through the Barracuda. And so they, they come out they're they're close in age with a lot of the players. They get to know them in training camp and such. So they come out and support them. But, you know, some of these guys come through and, and their leadership comes out that they, you know, they know that a lot of the players on the Barracuda are good, uh, you know, talented quality young prospects. And they, they try to try to make sure they pass it down a little bit to them. When I watch AHL games or the Barracuda specifically, I am not, I don't have the same eye as you do, obviously, but when I'm watching the AHL, I see more stoppages. I see just kind of not as much of a fluid fluidity to the game, but I do see very similar speed, and I do see a lot of that raw skill that you're looking for. So I guess the question becomes, how do you look at a player when it's not a necessity of injury and it's, hey, we need a defenseman or we need a forward tonight, but how do you look at a guy and go to Pete and Doug and say, this guy is ready when you need him, when you have to make that call, this is a guy we can slot in because I think. Yeah, uh, the consistency is is really you know the talent level is there. Like when when Timo uh, and uh, Logan Couture and players like that were in the American League, you know they they had the same talent level, but it's just a, a matter of working on their defensive play. Uh, being more refined, uh, you know, having a, a consistency level, less up ups and downs, and and more of a trustworthiness that kind of goes to what are you going to get on a given night, not not highs and lows. And you know, once we kind of get that out of the system, and we could trust them defensively, because uh, uh, a lot of times at the National Hockey League, it's what we tell our players at the AHL: you make a mistake like that at the NHL, and it's in your net. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, so it's more about getting trusted players. And uh, and when they get to that level, you know, we we make uh, Pete and his staff aware of that. We really kind of keep watching those uh, players, and and eventually they make it, and they never come back to the American Hockey League. 
Yeah, I mean, you're looking at guys uh, like Mario Ferraro right now and Dylan Gambrell. He did the ups and downs last year a lot. Those are two examples of guys that have been able to make that jump. And Tim Heat is another guy. And if you could just talk about, uh, pick any one of those three guys and just talk about their development. I know there was less time, per se, with Ferraro because he was still in the collegiate ranks. But in terms of watching those guys, a Heat or a Gambrell, and watching their development. Yeah, well, Tim Heat came in at a time when we had uh, really probably our best team ever with the San Jose Barracuda. It was a team that went to the Western Conference Finals, and I I think actually we played Grand Rapids, and and that kind of was the finals of the American League. I I felt it was the top two, uh, top two teams. Went through a playoff, uh, uh, you know, playoff series there, and that's one thing that people don't uh, realize: the grind of the American Hockey League uh, going through, and and the playoffs are kind of the same. So. Uh, playoffs in that league are, are equivalent to they get players ready for Stanley Cup playoffs. And, and so Tim Heed was really a benefactor of playing on a very good team there. Uh, he could play, you know, a high number of minutes. He was, you know, 28 minutes a game down uh, uh, with the Barracuda, uh, playing in all situations, power play, penalty kill, five on five. Uh, really honed his game, uh, tr- translated it from Europe, where where he's pretty pretty good player there. But you know, got some of the tendencies that he had over in Europe out of his game and made him more of a North American game. And uh, you know, got him ready for the uh, NHL. His was his was more of just getting a whole bunch of ice time and uh, getting through uh, uh, habits of the uh, uh, Europe. And then when you go to Dylan Gambrell, you know, again it was a transition from college uh, to to pro hockey and. Uh, uh, he had played a lot of minutes in uh, in uh, at University of Denver. Uh, you know, won a national championship with them and everything else, and and came to us, and it was a whole different thing. You know, he wasn't the scorer anymore like he was at Denver. We were getting him ready to be a, a, a dependable third, fourth line penalty killing type player because that was going to be his entree to the NHL. And the, the Barracuda, you know, it took about a year's time with that. And he was a, a great player for us with the Barracuda, but we got some defensive qualities in this game. Now you see in the NHL, he's killing penalties and, and, and playing in very trusted situations for Pete. It's interesting that you brought up the point about the the European game and the translation to the North American game, and that's something that Pete talked a lot about in the early part of the season when the when the Sharks were struggling. He was talking about how some of the you know the younger guys were trying to transition their game from a European style to the North American style. I guess what what's the the, the broader example of that in your opinion of a guy making that transition? Like what what is that change from the European to the NHL? It's really a function of time and space. Uh, most of the European ranks are bigger. They're not all the Olympic size. Uh, over in, uh, the Olympic size is 200 long by 100 wide, mm-hmm. and in um, North America, it's 200 long by 80 feet or 85 feet wide, and that's a, a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, and and within that, so in a European game, you could slow it down. You could kind of hide in certain spots of the rink, and 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 stay stationary and move the puck and such and players get used to that and then they come over here and they're like oh my gosh there's no room (laughs) and plus it's a it's an extremely fast league as you mentioned earlier the the speed of the ahl while it's not quite the nhl it's it's only marginally different so um 
you know, it's it's really those two things. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to watch too because you see these guys and you do see them start to settle in. And I guess in terms of the qualities that you're looking for, specifically with those European players that have been talked about, that's a result of a lack of those really high draft picks. And that's something that Doug's talked about, uh, Doug Wilson Sr., I should say, and that's something that Pete's talked about is that they've the Sharks have had to look at the – at the European um, talent core there and to bring guys in. So I guess just to speak to that, I mean, while you're looking at a game that's played in different dimensions, are there certain traits that you're saying that can translate? If we get him over here in the AHL, we can make that translate quickly. Absolutely, because uh, the level of the leagues in Europe is so high. I mean, there's a, a lot of players that retire from pro hockey here or they they move over there to play and you know it's much like the soccer leagues in europe and that the, a, a lot of these countries sweden and russia and czech and and germany and switzerland they have very good hockey leagues mm-hmm. so they're they're playing against you know bigger quicker um you know men as opposed to uh, other players that come other routes over college and they're coming through junior hockey and so they're it's usually much more mature players that come out of europe uh, more ready to go and you don't have to you don't have the growing pains with them you really need to adjust them as far as the rink they played on and some some of those parts of the game but it's usually a quick adjustment that's where we can get a you know a Tim Heat or Marcus Sorensen or or a Jonas Donskoy when he was here and such and and have uh, uh, success with them Redim Shemek so it, it's been good and you know a real testament to our scouting staff they're uh, led by Shin Larson they've really been on the lookout for players like this and you know for our pipe pipeline it's made sure that we we don't have gaps you know waiting for players to mature we can grab a player and usually get them ready to play in a month or two is it is it ever difficult bringing over guys from europe is there ever a culture barrier to when they're coming over to a new country and trying to learn a new system and i I know obviously the hockey world is relatively international but I would imagine that not only are you changing leagues, you're, the, the culture shock has got to be there a little bit. It really is. And uh, what we've tried to do is is kind of mentoring through the players that we have here and through the staff that we have. Uh, for example, like I, I, I can't speak highly enough about uh, Mike Ricci and Brian Marchment and Yevgeny Nabokov mm-hmm. and what they do as our development coaches. They, they you know, really uh, epitomize the – the, what the Sharks logo is about and, and uh, the standards that we have for our players. And, and uh, you know, carrying that over, so a player like Nabby, when, when we have Russians come over, well, he did that, you know, and he, our, our farm club at that time was in Lexington, Kentucky, the Thoroughblades. He played for them before he came to the Sharks. And, you know, he went through a lot of struggles. So he has he has stories so he can make it easier on the Russian players, for instance. Mm-hmm. And with Nicholas Sundstrom, who we have on, on staff, who was, you know, played for the Sharks and a great alum, helps our Swedish players get adjusted. So in most of our, our different languages and cultures that we have, we have somebody on staff that, that really is our, our in-house mentor to help uh, make the transition a lot easier. Again, we're talking to Joe Will here on Morning Tide. I guess when we look at the Barracuda this year, it's – a team that's not performing as well. And I think, to be fair to, to Coach Roy, that's part of that is because there, there's been more transition from these players to go up and be with the Sharks and a little bit more early in the year than we've seen previously. I guess a difficult question, and I've talked to Roy about this before, is that 
you know, the results versus the fact that you're preparing guys. How is that balancing act done? Because obviously every coach wants to win, but Coach Summer also knows that there's a part of his job which is preparing these guys to leave his team, which puts him at a, you know, relative but real deficit. Yeah, the the balance is is really interesting. And uh, it was one of the things when we moved out with Barracuda is Doug said, you know what, let's let's make sure part of this that we get closer to that line of developing and winning. We had some years to where we were sending a lot of players to the NHL, but they, you know, we weren't winning as much as we wanted to uh, in the playoffs and participating. And on with the Barracuda, we've been much like the Sharks. We've been in the playoffs every year. Uh, we're the only team that has in the Pacific division mm-hmm. and winning breeds winning. And, you know, it's, we won't, we won't go out and get mercenary players, uh, you know, veteran players, just to win games we, we will get them to help develop our young guys and to set great examples but we're not going to do it just to win games there otherwise we're, we're just a, a minor league team you know trying uh, to be a standalone team this is really all about the sharks and getting players ready so so we try and find that balance and and uh you know i believe we we really have uh over the years and and when you look at it was funny like uh uh Timo Meyer, the number of playoff rounds he's played in all levels of hockey is is up there with anybody because he went to a Memorial Cup in junior and then he stepped right in and went uh, to the conference uh, uh, finals in the American Hockey League and then he stepped in last year he had uh, three rounds with the with the Sharks so in his He's a very, very young player still, mm-hmm. and he has a ton of playoff experience. So yeah. we, we deem that very important. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. And, you know, you've watched that's got to be a huge part of why his game is developed so very quickly. And another guy that I think people are really looking forward to a quick development from, not to rush it, but just because you see the potential, is uh, Joachim Blickfeld. I mean, the way the puck comes off his stick that we saw in the preseason, it's it's just different. I mean, I'm not saying it's the same speed as like a Brent Burns with a huge slap shot but watching Blickfeld is just it's different and it's just got that sniper aspect yeah he's got a tricky release almost kind of like Corey Perry like um you know he's uh uh he's a really intriguing guy he was he was good this weekend and you know you, you talked about the uh the Barracuda the inconsistencies of the season that goes along with the player like Joachim Blickfeld and our others they're just so young and talented that uh you know we played the Ontario on Friday night and it was a nine to two win and our guys were electric. They were making plays. Everything was working. And, uh, and then Saturday night, their maturity, you know, they kind of thought it would be the same thing. Well, they had a team that was ready for them and was, you know, defending them a little bit differently and everything else. And, and, you know, more savvy, you know, uh, NHL player or, or some older guys, they, they probably would have adjusted and kind of expected that. But these young players, it's like, you know, they ran into it, got up to a three, nothing lead, thought everything was going to kind of be easy throughout there. And, and uh, Ontario tied it uh, and ended up winning in the shootout. But, you know, those are the growing pains with it. So I think at, by the end of the year, I think in the second half, you're going to see the, the team really take a, a jump maturity wise and such we're only 20 games in our friday night was our 20th game so mm-hmm. that you know in the nhl you see development usually by year and the in the ahl quite often you see development uh, players change in a month's time but uh yeah Joachim Blakefeld, uh, i could see you know at some point uh, this year that he's going to be in the, really the discussion with our with our coaches and our staff uh, that that he'll be close for a recall 
Yeah, it, he, just watching him, it's it's just very exciting. I mean, that, there's a lot of obviously quality players, but when you see something that's just a little bit different than everybody else, it kind of makes you, – you, you, you raise an eyebrow of interest in what the guy, especially as young as he is. And we knew the scoring was there from what he did in the WHL previously, but to have it, you know, continuing on to the AHL, you – you pay attention for sure. And then just, uh, you know, to talk about Coach Summer a little bit because he's just, you know, my in- interpretations of for my conversations with him is that, A, he's a great coach and you don't rack up those wins for no reason. But, B, he's just – he's a character. And I have to imagine that that allows the guys to develop, you know, without being in a pressure cooker type environment. Exactly. He – that's what – you know, he's really driven by the development of these players. Uh, you know, the players he can get play for the Sharks. He has such a sense of, uh, of pride when he when he watches the Sharks team because they they came through him. Like he has his he has his uh, fingerprint on everything that we've done here, and uh, and that's where his you know source of pride is. And uh, uh, we're we're just so proud to have him. You know, part uh, part of our group. He's a, he's a great mentor. He's a great balance. You know, and that's that's a thing that we try and do there is. You know, everybody talks analytics, and 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 we are we we focus on on doing you know in the sport and such. But uh, there's such an aspect of it that goes down to you know playing hard and competitive juices and uh, you know mental approach and things like that. And that's where where Roy is is really good. Like he just uh, uh, he knows how to get the guys ready, uh, much like Mike Ricci and 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 Brian Marchman. And he's got a couple of great assistants too, and Jimmy Bono and 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 Michael Chase on and just they're they're great mentors to players at the same time of really kind of teaching them uh skills well joe i could do this all day with you but i know you've got other uh things that you want to get to than just have me yap at you so i will let you go but i really appreciate this man and i hope i can uh, bug you again soon all right anytime my pleasure ted Joe Will, everyone. I really enjoyed talking to him about the Barracuda and the development and how that's filling into the Sharks and just a good dude. Again, just everybody in the Sharks front office, everybody on the staff, everybody's just a good dude, good people everywhere, up and down the franchise. It makes it easier for me, certainly, to do my job. But, you know, we look ahead at the next week for the San Jose Sharks. Tuesday night, they are going to be in Nashville taking on the Predators. Hopefully, again, you heard Pete DeBoer talk about it after Sunday's loss. Can they salvage this road trip and pick up two points against Nashville? Then you're hosting the Rangers, also a good team, Thursday night. Then Saturday night, it's another one against the Canucks. Again, the Canucks came in a few Saturdays ago, the first Saturday in November, and handed the Sharks their worst home defeat of the year. And that was really the game that I think was the low point of the season. But we're looking at a stretch now for the Sharks where they have Seven games at home in a row with some rest in there. After Nashville, again, the Rangers, the Canucks, Arizona, St. Louis, Vegas, the Kings, and Philadelphia. After that, January is going to be rough because that's a month in which you only have four home games as opposed to the seven that are on the road. But again, we're getting way too out in front of ourselves. But now the challenge for the Sharks becomes after they come home, after this game against Nashville, can they take advantage of seven straight at home? If they do that, they'll put themselves right back in a pretty picture again, and we'll have to see what happens when they go out onto the road at the end of December and into January. But the Sharks, to me, can they correct these mistakes? Can they get consistency from their goalies? Can they stop putting themselves at a deficit early? Can they be better on the road? And on the other side of that is, can they keep on putting together high-quality performances at home? 
Can they get Jones to be consistently the guy that we all know he is capable of being? Can we continue to watch Eric Carlson round into form and look like one of the most dominant players in the NHL? I mean, the hard part about all this right now is we are at a level of just the midline. 15 wins, 15 losses, a couple overtime losses. You've seen some good, you've seen some bad. And the most frustrating part of this is that you think when you watch this team, you see the capability of having a lot more good than you do the bad. But this is a process that takes a long time to get going. And it's what we've seen with Pete DeBoer's teams. And that's where I keep on going back to more than the corrections that I've alluded to and more than the talent on the ice, which we all know is there. It's Pete DeBoer's teams seemingly, they don't take their time, but there is a process, a learning curve, if you will, for each individual team and each individual year to round into their best form. And we saw it last year with the Sharks mid-season in January before they went to the All-Star break when Eric Carlson was first dealing with that groin injury. And then immediately after there, we saw a stretch where the Sharks were looking like they were their best selves. And can the Sharks turn into that now? And I think they can. I think it's probably coming, but Correcting these mistakes and playing to the level that they're capable of, it's entirely different to say it and to see it actually happen on the ice. But this is the reason these guys get paid the big bucks. This is the reason these guys have the level of expectations and pressure that they do because we all know what they're capable of. It's just a matter of it happening in the here and now and seeing it consistently and seeing it sooner rather than later. But it's a big game against Nashville, and then you come back home where you've got seven, and you can put yourself in a very, very good position. You can correct these mistakes. You can find yourselves, and you can set yourself up for a bit of a roll. That's what I think we're all hoping to see from the San Jose Sharks, and if not, then things are going to get very, very interesting, but hopefully from my end, very, very entertaining. But even though I am not a betting man, I am still very, very positive the Sharks are going to come home and have a solid homestand here in the month of December. So a rough, frustrating week behind us and a week of challenges and potential in front of us. All right, a big thanks again to Joe Will, the assistant general manager of the San Jose Sharks and the general manager of the San Jose Barracuda. A big thanks to the San Jose Sharks for making this show a reality and to you, the fans, for listening. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off.